Crossroads family, this is Kenny and we're glad that you're here with us. We're in week number two of our series, Committed. What we've done is we've taken the songs from a group called Committed from Huntsville, Alabama. They were on a TV show called The Sing-Off and we've taken the songs and put God in the middle of it. It's amazing when you put God into a song, what it can actually turn out to mean to us. So thank you for being a part of this podcast and welcome to Crossroads. It's just amazing how you can take any song and you can twist it and put God in the middle of it and it changes your perspective on what that song is. So, in saying that, why don't we watch a video? Holding on your own got me ten feet off the ground Hearing what you're saying but I just can't make a sound you tell me that you need me, then you go and cut me down. But when you tell me that you're sorry, didn't think I'd turn around and say, hey, I said it's too late to apologize. Another chance, take a fall, take a shot for you. Shot for you. I need you like a heart needs a beat, but that's not I love you with the fire, and now it's turning blue. And you say, Sorry, like the angel, haven't let me think was you. But I So, had <clears throat> a boy. I hope you were able to hear it. I heard a lot of folks enjoying it so much they talked the whole time. So, if you'd shut up, you could hear a lot better. Just saying. Oh, there's no keyboard. Anyway, um, this group is is really spoken to me over the years, and I, I love listening to people sing. Uh, there was a group I might have mentioned it last week when I was a kid called Take Six. They were out of Alabama. Uh, have y'all ever heard of Brian McKnight? Any of y'all? <laughs> Thank you, represent. Y'all are like, no, I don't know what a Brian McKnight is. Okay, just imagine the musical artist you listen to now, but can actually sing. That was Brian McKnight. So, I, hey, come on in, come on, come on in here, brother James. Look here, I like this. And that's what Moses meant, amen, let's pray. <laughs> How are you, bud? I'm good, you just never know. Did you get I'm kicked going... out? Yeah, I did. He got kicked out. I so... kicked out of the men's ministry, and I said, I'll go to Crossroads. Absolutely. And Welcome so, to Crossroads. Uh, just wanted to sit my head in here. I went to the ladies' ministry beforehand. They were boring. They, they, they didn't have a seat. They were full. So I look around, you're almost full. We got so, two uh, extra chairs back there. If I'm going to say hello to you guys. 
and how much we appreciate you supporting Wednesday Night Ministries at West End, and now I'm going to RAs and GAs. Good luck. Yes. <laughs> thank y'all so much. See you, Chief. See y'all. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, what were we talking about? Anyone? Brian McKnight. So, this group called Take Six. Brian, since y'all don't know who Brian McKnight is, that doesn't matter at all. So, anyway, Take Six was an acapella Christian group, and they used to sing, and it was just one of those things where you would hear them singing, and you go, how are they making that sound? Well, that's kind of what this group is to me. And when I hear them, I'm just, you know, like we talked about last week, as soon as you walk out of here, you'll get in your car by yourself. You go, I can sing just like them. <laughs> you can't. Uh, maybe you can, and if you can, why aren't you up here blowing it? So anyway, um, there's things I like about this group. One, they're Christian. Uh, two, they're extremely talented. And three, they're from Alabama. And I just love Roll Tide. I don't know. They're from Huntsville. I don't know. I guess they're Roll Tide. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, um, but the song that they sang, of course, is by one Repub Repub <laughs> Republic. And that song is, is, is a beautiful song, but the way they sang it just really stirred me. And when I started thinking about the word apologize, it's one of those words that many of us never want to have to do. How many of you enjoy apologizing to someone? <laughs> yes, we are all guilty. But at, at this, in saying that, there are times that we all do need to apologize to someone. Unfortunately, I am one of the world's worst at understanding when I need to apologize. My wife could attest to that. Uh, I've got an extremely sharp tongue, and you know, majority of the time I don't mean anything by what I say. I'm just being Kenny. Um, but a lot of times what I say comes out really harsh. And... Um, I, I don't mean anything mean by it. Most of the time, every once in a while, I'll cut you and what you bleed. But for the most part, I don't. I don't try to hurt anyone's feelings. I never hurt anybody's feelings, um, or I don't want to. Uh, but there are times that we need to apologize, and it's one of the hardest things for us to do because it comes back to if we are having to apologize, that means that we are wrong about something, and none of us enjoy being wrong. I can't stand when somebody points out I'm wrong, and it happens every day. I had to send a, a an email out. Did you get my email? I, Maybe. I probably did. My computer went a little today. So, okay. Um, to it's it. floating around somewhere. But I put in there, please ignore the way it's written because I'm terrible with grammar and punctuation and uh, I write in all capitals because I'm just Kenny. But uh, I, I get pointed out the things that I do wrong all the time. And there are times that it doesn't bother me, but there are times that it gets under my skin. Uh, but a lot of times when that happens, I find myself overreacting. Do any of y'all overreact? Thank you, Jessica. I was waiting on that. How, how many over here, any of y'all overreact to stuff? Yeah. Why do you think we do that? I mean, like you wake up and it's 40 degrees. Oh my gosh, it's so cold. <laughs> I, I got to the locker room this morning. I had the opportunity to go and speak to part of the football team this morning. And they're walking in, and you would think they just came back from Alaska. They're like, oh, my gosh, it is so cold, and we've got to go outside and run. It is so cold. And there are guys putting on, like, seven sweatshirts. They're like, coach, you got the biggest football team I've ever seen. They're like, stay puffed marshmallow, man. <laughs> I'm going to run outside. It's cold. A lot of little penguins. If they fall, they're going to just roll around on the ground. Come on, get up. <laughs> Wasn't going to happen. But it's the funniest thing because we do find ourselves overreacting. I'm terrible at overreacting when someone's driving in front of me like a knucklehead. Oh, my gosh. And I try to be holy. I try to be Brother Kitty. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God bless you, idiot. <laughs> oh, you flipping moron. May God have mercy on your soul. And I find myself doing that. And the world's worst place to be like that is when you're dropping people off at school. 
Man, there were a lot of days I want to drive somebody else's car because you can't hide in, in the, the beast. I mean, it's orangish. It's really dirty now. You can't hide in that thing. If I, if I throw a pop top out, a bottle top or whatever you call it, soda top, if I throw one of those out, there's going to be like cameras, news at five. You know, it's going to pick me up. But there are so many days, especially when the boy was younger, and you'd pull up and they, they're real strict. Now, keep, come on, come, come on, come on, come on. Yes, ma'am. So I pull up, and the car in front of me, they would get out. They would put that car in park and get out and get boo-boo out. They'd walk around the car. Hey, Brother Kenny, hey. And I'm like, about to finish you. And they're like, hey, Brother Kenny, I'll just take a second. And then they said boo-boo out. And then they got to straighten the clothes and give them some of that. And then they're going to hug them. And, and they stand there and watch them walk all the way to the door. And I'm sitting in my Jeep going, they've been walking for years. They can figure out again that there's people opening the door for them. Get in your car and go. And I'm just so frustrated. And then they stand there until they get all the way into the, into the building. And then they turn around and go, Brother Kenny. I'm just like, I don't want to be Brother Kenny right now. I want to be Kenny. And I want to get out and go, let me tell you something. Because I'm like, man, they're in 12th grade. They can walk in by themselves now. You don't have to keep standing there. Oh, it's my baby. It's my last one. We got 98 children. We're Duggars. But this is the last one that will ever walk into that school. And there was something inside of me that one just rolled down the window and go, hey, I need to apologize to you. Because right then I killed you a lot. <laughs> and, you know, I'm flashing my lies. I'm like, laser beam, laser beam. There are times that we do need to apologize, but a lot of times we find it hard to do that because of the overreaction of everything. And I'm one of those that does overreact to an extent. And one of the things that you probably won't believe this, but for the last several years, I've really been working on not saying the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> you don't believe that at all, but trust me, I'm doing much better. Because usually the first thing that comes to my mind is an overreactive statement like, I will kill you. Uh, I hope your foot falls into a blender. You know, something like that. Something just twisted. Uh, I, hope, I hope you eat something that gives you stomach trouble. I don't know what it is. But I'm really getting better about that because I understand that the words that we say can be harmful to people. The way that we say things can be harmful to people. The way that we look at people can be harmful. It can hurt them. And the last thing that I personally want to do is hurt someone. I haven't wanted to hurt people in years. There are times that I want to mildly discomfort people, but I don't want to hurt people anymore. Those days are gone. I can remember the, the first bicep I tore. Uh, I tore both of them, but I think it was, it was my right one first. But anyway, I tore a bicep. And so when I had the surgery, um, I can remember just being all like this, and Jessica and I were dating. And that was, you know, back when you dated, right? We weren't? Yes, we were. Was the, it was the second bicep then. Sorry. We were married. So we quit dating and got married. Um, but I tore my second bicep. And, oh, you were about this old. So, yeah, and I couldn't hold my child. And he was about this old. And I can remember sitting there, and one of our former students came over, and he went, Hey, I heard you tore your other bicep. I said, yeah. He said, what were you doing? I said, I was picking up the television. He said, God, you're a sissy. I said, hey, uh, 
I'll kill you. <laughs> and he was like, no. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. I couldn't do anything. He's a kid that headbutted and knocked myself out. So anyway, it's not that important. But I'm sitting there with that torn bicep. He said, do you, are you scared? And I said, scared of what? <laughs> I mean, snakes, yeah. But other than that, no. He said, no, nah, like, if you went up to the mall and somebody jumped you. And I was like, why would you even say something like that? He said, yeah, 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 I shouldn't have said that. Somebody jumps Miss Jessica. And I was like, stop! He said, no, 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 you're right, you're right. What if somebody came in your house and stole Barrett? And I was like, get out of my house. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, what would you do? And that was my right bicep. I can remember that very well because my right bicep, and I'm sitting there going, I would probably try to fight him off, and I'm right-handed, so I'd be going, stop, stop. I overreacted that night because I freaked out for a while over that. But a lot of times the overreaction we have comes out of our mouth and it ends up hurting people. And that's something that we really need to be cautious about because there are so many people that we don't really understand what's going on in their life. Uh, it's been breaking my heart over the past several years. And I know this is things that have gone on forever, but when I turn on the news or when I pick up a newspaper, which I never do, when I look on the internet and read a news article, and it's about someone that's taken their life because they've been bullied. And it absolutely breaks my heart. Um, I come from a different generation from you. Um, bullying to us was just getting picked on usually. Now, I understand that there are different degrees of bullying, but it just breaks my heart for, to think that there's someone that is so beaten up over something that they think their only escape is to take their life. And it horrifies me to think that someone would be in that place. When I was younger, like I said, bullying was picking on someone. And we all, I'll say this probably across the board of everyone sitting here, we all at some point have been picked on or have picked on someone. Not meaning that you've gone to be intentionally mean to them, but maybe you said something to cut them. Maybe you, you looked at them differently. And these are things now that people will take and, and because of the, the world we live in, it hurts them differently than it did for us. And your parents have probably said it. I know your grandparents said, y'all just ain't tough like we used to be. We were really tough, but we were really dumb too. So maybe you're a lot smarter. Maybe that's why uh, today's generation isn't as quote unquote tough. But the thing what it boils down to is there's still a place where communication needs to happen between people so we can find out what's going on in people's lives. I watched a report about a nine-year-old in Birmingham who had taken her life and it absolutely destroyed me. I sat there, the family was in bed, and I sat there and watched that news uh, report and I just sat there and started crying. And I was thinking, yeah, I just, I can't imagine. And here's what the mother said, we had no idea. We had no idea. And so immediately I get on my high horse and go, well, I know exactly what's going on in my house. But a lot of times I don't. Because all of us at some point have put on the mask. We put, we put on the mask of everything is fine. We put on the mask of, well, today has been a great day. And as silly as this might be, this kind of represents us. We can walk into school. And we can, as soon as we shut the car door, we try to leave the pressure that's on our life behind and we put our happy face on. All of us at some point have worn the mask. Because I think a lot of times we don't really want people inside. We don't fo want folks to know exactly what's going on because if they knew how tormented my head is, if they knew what was going on in my life, maybe they wouldn't want to be friends with me anymore. Maybe my image would be tarnished because they understand that there's something about me that I'm just struggling with. 
And we'll put this mask on. And everyone that sees us go, oh, well, they're fine. But then we get home and we realize that inside there's a lot of hurt. Inside there's a lot of hurt. And I just started scribbling down things that, that, you know, I'm hopeless, I'm confused, I'm dumb, I'm no good, I'm a mess, I'm sad, I'm ugly, I'm shy, I'm angry, I'm lonely, there's doubt in my life, I'm ashamed, I'm fat, I'm skinny, uh, I'm one of those. Um, I'm unpopular, there's fear in my life, I'm weird, I'm depressed, I'm lost, I'm poor. There's so many things that go on in our mind that we'll try to hide from other people so no one knows exactly what's going on inside. And unfortunately, we live in such a fast-paced society till we no longer sit down with people, look them in the eyes and go, hey, how are you doing? Because now we've substituted with, what's up? Okay. And we're not sitting down looking, because I can sit down and look in your eyes and tell if there's something going on. I can't do it through a phone. And finding that time, making that time to just sit down and talk with someone. This lady... She, she said, I had no idea what was going on. And I started thinking, could somebody have done something to help? Could someone have done something to, to maybe help with what was going on? And that's something I really want you to chew on. That every day, you're looking at people, you're talking with people, you're sitting across the table from people, you're sitting across the, the aisle from people, you're, you're in communication with people. How well do you know them? How much do you know about what's going on in their lives? And it's not something that can happen by, hey, what's going on, man? None. Okay. It takes time for someone to trust you enough to share with you what's going on in their lives. So a question that, that comes to mind is, when's the last time you sat down and genuinely were concerned about what's going on in the life of one of your friends? I've shared this many times, so bear with me, but my senior year, uh, Ashlyn Lawless was killed in a car accident. Dear friend, beautiful young lady. She was, you know, going to, going to college. She was a straight-A student, and uh, she was in a car accident the first day of school. She was coming to school, and she pulled out in front of a car and got T-boned. And she ended up in the hospital, and she was in a coma for a while. And they said, she's getting better. She's probably coming home this weekend. And that Friday was our senior night, and they called all the seniors to the auditorium, and we thought it had something to do with senior night. And as we walked in the auditorium, they said, we don't know how to say this, but there were complications with, a with Ashlyn, and she passed away. And my heart sank. And as big and tough as I thought I was, I bawled like a baby. Every one of those seniors sat there and cried their eyes out. Because it's someone we've grown up with. Several months later, basketball season was coming on. There's a guy named Ken. Ken had gone to Calera, riding the school bus up, got up there and realized he had left his jersey. He looked at the coach and said, Coach, if I go back and get my jersey, can I play the second half? And the coach says, Yeah, you can go. Ken pulls out to pass a car and meets an 18-wheeler head on. Ken's gone. And I pull up right after the accident happened. The paramedics and the fire and rescue had already gotten there. And one of the guys was one of my classmates. He walked up. He said, hey, uh, that was Ken Wilkins. I said, well, what happened? He said, Ken, he, he's gone. Ken was a year younger than me. Broke my heart. A couple of months later, out here on Hinkle, guy decided to see how fast his car would go. His name was Jeff. And he had a really fast car. And he lost control of that car. And he went airborne and flipped and landed in the creek that goes under Hinkle. He drowned. Lost three classmates. People that I had spoken to, but I never 
truly sat down and found out what was going on in their lives. Now, I will say this. As a teenager, wasn't one of my things. And here's why I'm sharing this with you. I don't want you to be 48 years old and wonder if your friends are in hell because you never cared enough to talk to them about how important this is. I don't want you to wake up feeling that. And I can promise you, there's not... There very seldom a week goes by that I don't think about one of those people. Ashlyn's brother, Shane, uh, he lives in Georgia, uh, and we're friends on Facebook, and I keep up with him through that. And just watching what's going on in his life, every time I see him, I think of Ashlyn. And I have to wonder, what if I would have sat down and spoken with her about Christ? Would that have kept her from being killed in a car accident? Probably not. But at least assurance could have been there and peace could have been there that I actually took the time to sit down and talk with somebody about what their life was. The words that we say are important. The, the actions that we take are important. And God doesn't just randomly put you in a group of people. There's purpose behind everything God does in your life. And when you are surrounded with people, at some point there has to be a place in your heart where you go, I just wonder. The last time Jessica and I went to a college football game, this has been, gosh, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Tennessee, Georgia. Tennessee won. So it's been a long time. Tennessee won. Been a long time. But we're sitting in the end zone, and um, there was a guy uh, about the size of Mr. AJ, if any of y'all know Mr. AJ, sitting beside Jessica on that side, and then there's me. So she's sandwiched in between two big things. And I get a text message, and it's one of my friends who went to school at UGA, and he lives close to the campus. He's got a student ministry for college students. And he says, hey, man, we're here in your stadium. We're about to kick your butt. And I was like, hey, I'm on this end of the end zone, and we're going to stomp your face in. Ha, 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 ha. Well, Tennessee ended up winning, and everything should be wonderful. But as we're getting ready to leave, I just start looking around the, the stadium. Now, there's 115,000 people in there and 12 teeth. You know, as Tennessee's coming to play ball. Woohoo! That's why it's called a toothbrush in Knoxville. So anyway, I'm sitting there looking at all these people, and I'm just thinking, I wonder if, if something happened. How many of these people would go to hell right now? And it's terrible to have your mindset that way, but it's also a good thing because it keeps God real in your life. And on Sunday mornings, I sit there, and I, I, we had the invitation, and I look across the congregation, and I think, how many people are just waiting for that day when they finally say, you know what? I'm going to surrender because I've done all I've wanted to do. And then the question comes back to those of us that are followers of Christ. When's the last time you sat down with somebody and truly found out what was going on in their life? It's a scary thing at times. I've been on the, the side where I've talked to people about suicide. Praise God they didn't go through with it. I've talked to people about abusive relationships. And a lot of times the mask that we wear is because we're in a relationship we're not really happy with, but we know it, it's, it's okay. A lot of times the mask that we put on is to, to keep our parents from bothering us because we don't want them to know that I'm struggling because uh, as a parent you expect perfection from me and you expect me to do everything perfect and I'm just a kid and I can't sometimes. And from a parent, I want you to know it's okay for you to make mistakes. It's not okay for you to continually make the same mistake. But you're going to make mistakes. I do. I'm a grown man. I mess up all the time. But we keep this mask handy just in case. 
You can sit down with your youth pastor and talk to him, and everything can be wonderful, but inside there's something tearing you apart. And we end up, when we're in those situations, we end up looking for a peace that that's not going to fulfill us. Um, I shared this, I think I shared this, I'm not even sure. I had a guy come to the house to do some pest control things um, yesterday, I think it was. And so he'd gone down in the basement, and we were talking about some things, and I was showing him something on my Jeep, and we were just talking, and uh, we're talking about music, of course, and we started talking about the different music we listened to. He said, yeah, he said, man, I was Metallica and, and this group and that group and this group. And I said, I was a rap guy. I was running DMC and Fat Boys and all this. He was like, yeah, yeah. He said, I never got into rap that much because Daddy didn't like it. When we went out drinking, he just didn't like to listen to that kind of music. And I went, huh. I said, so you and your father used to drink together? He said, yeah. He said, he started me when I was about 13. I thought, man, Wow. So we just kept talking, and I said, you know, my father, he, he quit drinking when I was about eight years old. Uh, he would come in every day, and he would make just a little drink or whatever. He would say it helped relax him or whatever. Uh, but that was it. I never saw my father drunk. I never saw him. There was no parties. I mean, he was old when I was born, so they weren't going to parties and doing stuff. But I can remember he came in. I, I vividly remember him walking in the door one night and saying, Sue? It's time to pour that mess out. Now, my mother didn't drink at all. And my father says, it's time to pour that mess out. And I watched him walk over, and I'm sure it was some cheap, off-brand liquor. I have no idea what it was. But I remember he popped a little plastic top off of it, and he just poured it all out. And I remember walking in as a kid and looking at my dad and saying, what are you doing? He said, son, they're talking to me about being a deacon at the church. He says, if I'm going to serve God the way I need to serve God, this can't be a part of my life. I remember walking away. This is how stupid I am. I started walking away from my father and went, well, crap, I wish I could drink. <laughs> Why? Because I'd seen my dad do it. Sole purpose behind it. I had no idea what it was. I can remember daddy go, go in there and mix me your drink. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm pouring like, here's half a gallon and a, and a drop, you know? And dad's like, Hoo-hoo, that's a good one, boy. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew that, you know, my dad did it. But when he sat me down and explained why, I saw a different side of my father. When my father was in the hospital a month or so before he passed away, and he'd have a moment of clear thought and we would have conversations, I would see a different side of my father because I shut everything down to make sure I was spending time and hearing him. I was taking my dad home to his home. Uh, we had had something here at church or he was at our house or something. We had dinner. But I was carrying him home and I said, Daddy, I, I want to ask you a question. He said, all right. And I said, tell me your story. And he said, well, now I was born. He told me the year he was born. He pointed to where the house used to be. And I said, no, sir, I want to know your story about when you found Christ. He said, well, he kind of found me. And he told me his story. It was that important. And I can't tell you how afraid I was to sit in front of my father and ask that question. Why was I afraid of that? I don't have any idea. But I was. I can remember my mother talking about when she had surrendered. And I wanted to hear my father's story. And to hear him talk about how his uncle shared Christ with him. And how he would go and sit on the porch while his uncle was whittling. And his uncle would talk to him about Christ. Was sitting down and having that encounter... You know, Brother James is the, oh gosh, I forgot, the personal intentional encounter. Is that right? The personal intentional encounter. That's the pie for this year. 
My father was intentional. My uncle was intentional about the encounter they were having together. And it was very important that my uncle shared the encounter he had had with Christ. And the thing is, is the message God has in your life, if you're a follower of Christ, is something that needs to be shared. And you can't wait until they're gone and hope that maybe they had heard the story. Probably 15 years ago, there was a VHS tape that we had here. Destination Unknown, I think is what it was called. Do you remember that, Jack? So, and we would play it about once a year. And I've got a DVD of it somewhere. I don't know where it is. But it was made in the 80s, so you can imagine how cheesy it was. It's a lot like me. So it was really cheesy. Uh, but it's this group of guys that had won a state basketball championship. And so they're all at a friend's house, and they're, they're just terribly dancing because it's horrible. It looks like something I would make a video. I say, yeah, it's terrible dancing, and they're all trying to rap, and it's just terrible. And they all go, hey, let's go for a joyride. And so they jump in someone's station wagon. Don't even know what that is. It's this huge car. And so there's like six people that jump in there, and it's a couple of cheerleaders, a couple of football players, or basketball players, and they, they take off down the road, and they're laughing. There's no drinking going on. There's no drugs going on. They're just having the best time. And they come up to a stop sign, and one of them turns around and goes, Chinese fire drill. Hope that doesn't offend you. It's something that people used to do. They would get there, they would stop, put it in park, and everybody would run around the car. <laughs> and why did you do that? I don't know, but folks did it. And then there was people like me get about halfway around the car and go, <gasps> pop the trunk, and I'll just roll in. But they, they end up doing that, and they're all laughing, having the best time, and they jump in a slam door, and he pushes in drive, and he stomps, and he goes, ha, ha, and a car hits him and kills every one of them. And the next thing you see is they're in heaven. And there's this giant television screen, and it's just static. And they're just standing in line, and they're all freaking out. What is this? What's going on? And they're just, you can just see the panic in their, in their eyes. And finally, one guy says, I know what this is. And they said, what is it? He said, it's the judgment. I said, what are you talking about? And he starts talking to them about Christ. And they said, how did you know all this? He said, when I was a kid, I, I gave my life to Christ. And they start saying, but you never told us about it. I rode to school with you every day, and you never said anything about this. We dated for four years, and you never said anything about this. And he looked at each one of them and said, I'm so sorry. If you've waited until your friend or your loved one or your enemy is gone from this earth, it's too late to share Christ with them. I read a book several years ago called 10 Things You Can't Do in Heaven. And the first thing it says is you can't lead anyone to Christ if you're in heaven or if they're in hell. It's got to be done before. One of the quotes that's really stood out to me here recently is the future is bringing the, uh, the future in... <sighs> Crap. It really stood out. It did. <laughs> I have to tell it to you some other time. i got a book that's got it written in it. But it's talking about the future and bringing it into the present so you can do something about it today what you're looking for in your future, the dreams that you have, the, the future that you have as far as college, as far as work life, as far as having a family, but we've got to think about eternity too. And all of this is something that we need to think about because some of you, your eternity set. But some of you might be sitting by someone that they don't know. And the last thing I want you to do is to live the rest of your life wondering if they're in heaven or hell.
at some point it's going to be too late to apologize. The words we say could end a relationship. The actions that we have towards someone could end a relationship when you never have the opportunity to sit down and share with them. You never have the opportunity to know exactly what's going on in someone's life. Maybe you are the, the kind words that's going to keep someone from falling. Maybe you are the kind person that's going to hold someone back from doing something they shouldn't. Take your Bibles if you would. Turn to Ephesians. Now, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 12. This will be your nugget for the night. Proverbs 12, verse 18. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. God has put compassion in hearts. God has put wisdom in your mind. God has put the ability to communicate in each one of you. And it's more than just to cut up and have a good time. It's to find out what's going on in people's lives. So maybe the kind words you have could help them. It's a blessing that God has given us through His Son, Jesus. It's a blessing too great for us to hold on to. For some of us, we need to take our mask, come to grips with there's a lot of dirt on the inside of us, and I need someone else to know about it. And I'll tell you this, I know it's weird to try to come talk to me because I'm older than most of your parents, but I've got people sitting in this room that would love to sit down and listen to you. Um, I'm a good listener. I don't tell anything to anybody. If there's anything I can do, if you're struggling, let me help. Or let me point you to someone that can. Don't wait until it's too late to apologize. Read a story about a man who had been in war. This was after World War II and he came home and he couldn't deal with what all he had faced. And I can't fathom what that must have been like. But as he came home, he, he withdrew more and more from his family, withdrew more and more from his friends. And as he sat down and wrote a letter, he had stated to his wife that he just couldn't go on the way life was and he, he was going to end his life. And the last thing he wrote was, I'm sorry. And that apology could never cure the hurt that was in her heart. And her words were, I didn't know it was this bad. Let's take advantage of the time that we have together and make sure we're plugged into what's going on in people's lives because your smiling face might be what keeps someone from doing something bad. Let's pray.